Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler, buddy. Wednesday night, we're back. Had a little little extended break here, but we're back in business, man. Wednesday night, extended break. Have a truly awesome guest we're about to bring on in a couple seconds here. ACC tournament. Holy moly. And saying that, we got to bring this guy on because he was going through it just like we were. Uh, we're going to bring on Matei Sis from BT Scoop, 247 Rider, and Inside the Tunnel podcast. Matei, has your heart rate came down yet after the ending of that game? Listen, guys, this is about 20 minutes after the game. My heart rate is still at an all-time high. Apple Watch readings off the chart. Darius Maddox, listen, this is March, and Virginia Tech survives, moves on. Let's get it. Survive and advance. Exactly. And, uh, did it in dramatic fashion. Dramatic fashion. Dribble down the court, three at the buzzer in overtime to get that one-point victory over Clemson. And this is a game that the, the Hokies kind of had in hand for – pretty much the duration. I mean, it was it was a little back and forth early, but once we kind of got into the 20s in scoring, Tech kind of put a put a good uh good arm's length uh lead over the Tigers and then down the last what four minutes, uh yeah. the Tigers kind of clawed back and uh especially the last two minutes of regulation really kind of put the put the, the the screws to the Hokies there and got it got it to overtime, but man, I I, I'm just blown away by the way that thing ended because I I thought we were in for another letdown in a in a late game like that. Yeah, that was awesome, and I gotta say credit to Mike Young too because you know taking out Keve Aluma, putting on four guards on the court, you're going for the three. You know, it's make it in advance. You miss it, you're going home. So he went he went all in on that last play. It paid off. Who else? That was incredible and. You know, I, I thought the game was well over uh, right before the five-minute mark. And then, you know, typical Virginia Tech fashion, things happen, OT hits. I'm thinking there's no shot. And then, you know, all it takes is one shot. And that's what it was right at the end. Yep. I thought it was over, too. I I, I told these guys I, I'm, I'm putting my son to bed, and he asks, hey, what's the score? And I'm like, oh, Tech's like 12-12. It's probably over. I walk back down to the man cave here and it's a four point lead. And I'm like, what, what did we do while I was upstairs? <laughs> Just a brief moment in time. And it, it, it had harkened back to BC. It harkened back to the, you know, the first Miami game, the, the, the state game, these games where, as we were talking Mate, uh, just a few minutes ago, if you, if we have these games already won, we're in the tournament comfortably. We're in we're probably going to be somewhere between a six and a nine seed. Instead, we're we're fighting for our lives and and on to Notre Dame at seven tomorrow night. Thank God we're in the seven slot all week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's such a nice slot to be in. That is such a nice slot to be in. Lucky number uh, seven. And thankfully, we you know we wrapped up just before this, so um, 
you know, we weren't we weren't uh, having our hearts pound out of our chest while we're trying to have a discussion on here. Yeah, well, or staying well, up for another overtime or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were, what we were going to do, Matei, we were going to tell you if they went to another overtime, we were just going to be like, hop on. We're just going to just live we'll watch, watch it together, react to the game uh, before we start the interview tonight. That wouldn't, wouldn't be the first time we've done some shit like that. Yeah, we're going to watch party. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We are notorious for for being the guys that are commenting on live games while you know randomly talking yeah. about hockey sports. So. Yeah, I have to joke during like this season, like we do our episodes on Sunday nights, and like one one time this year or numerous times, the Colts and the Niners played, and it was like, listen, everybody, if you see our heads turn up, we're watching the game. If we look distracted, we're sorry, but you know we're continuing to watch it too. So hey, fair enough. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, Matei, again, we, we we thank you for uh, joining us tonight to kind of hit on some recruiting news. Um, but before we get into that, just give us a little background on yourself, you know, how you came. Obviously, we know you're a Hokie, how you became that. And then, you know, how you got on with 247 and VT's Hoop. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> long story short, um, I wanted to go to a big school in high school um, for, for college, I should say. And, you know, I was looking around and, you know, Virginia Tech just hit, you know, all my checkpoints. And it wasn't actually until uh, my mom's friend who attended Virginia Tech said at the last moment, you should check out this school. It, it hits everything that you're looking for. I wasn't even considering it as a New York boy, but, um, you know, applied, got in actually a day after admissions ended, uh, saw my acceptance took one tour there and I just knew it was the place I had to be. Um, you know, I was a huge sports guy in high school, was always around it. Um, did some freelance work in high school, writing about the NBA. Uh, so when I got down to Virginia Tech, it was only natural. I wanted to get involved with athletics. And, um, you know, I saw an opportunity on the VT Scoop uh, main page. It was actually during the time that Josh Sweat was announcing. That's when I first got into Virginia Tech recruiting and saw, you know, how vicious it could really be. Um, it was a week after that, after National Signing Day, that Evan put it up. He said, we're looking for one more guy to join the team. Uh, asked for three samples. I didn't have three samples. Quickly wrote them up, uh, you know, had my mom edit them. Uh, sent them around, made sure everything was flawless. And, you know, we hopped on the phone for that first conversation when I was a freshman at Virginia Tech. And, you know, he said, we'll bring you on, we'll do some work. And, you know, I've been there ever since. So uh, huge credit to Evan for believing in me. And, you know, it's been such an amazing journey being able to get close to the program of the school I attended. I mean, there's nothing better than that. And, you know, even now, you know, well after college, I'm still, um, involved as much as I can be. Awesome. Well, that's kind of, it's kind of great you say all that and, you know, knowing you're a Hokie and mentioning, I think right before we got on, uh, Matei mentioned his high school was a total of 600 people. His first intro to finance class at Tech was 850 people. So that's crazy to to think about. Culture shock. Culture shock, exactly. (laughs) But let me ask this because being not only obviously an alumni, being a huge sports fan, when Witt decided and being a writer for VT Scoop, you know, when Witt decided to go in a new direction in November, when Justin Fuente was fired, you know, how did this impact you not only at VT Scoop, but 
obviously being an alumni and being a fan of the program. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely um, bittersweet. And I know that rightfully so, there's a lot of fans that wanted change. And, you know, from my perspective, it was always my role to kind of keep an unbiased take and kind of see it for what it is. But, you know, there were deep relationships built with the with the last staff. Um, but I got to say, you know, everything that has transpired since then, the transition has been seamless. And, you know, there's a it's it's refreshing to have this change and to have people that are so passionate about what they do. The new connections formed. Um, it's obviously been great for VT Scoop, not only anytime there's a coaching change, but just the access that we have into the program was something that was missing for a very long time. And it's really, really refreshing. I mean, that's the key word there because, you know, we're able to see so much more as, you know, the common fan, but also in recruiting, we're able to see, you know, a lot more of, you know, what the prospects are telling us and those types of things. So it's been really good and I have no complaints so far in the first few months. That's awesome to hear. Sounds like a little bit of the curtain's been pulled back on the program. Absolutely. Um, for, from in a lot of areas, not just on the recruiting side, but it's, it's good to hear that, you know, some of those things are opening up as well. And I think the the candidness that uh, coach Pry kind of talks about things at pressers and um, other interviews that he's done is, is big. And one of the big things he's talked about is kind of just how far, um, you know, behind they were with relationship building with the transition and some of the other things for the 23 class. Um, in your, in your view, just based on what you've seen, like how far behind were the Hokies kind of at that transition point? And is there anything that they've done since then to kind of, I guess, uh, shorten that gap? Yeah, I would definitely say that Virginia Tech is still behind in terms of in-state um, they've done a lot better. Those relationships are being formed. They're still early on. And, you know, these types of things take time. But in terms of the first steps of what you have to do, and, you know, they're saying they're putting an emphasis on Virginia, and they really have. And they're going into all the high schools. They're meeting all the people. They're not just meeting, you know, the high school coaches. They're meeting administrators, teachers, uh, parents, you know, friends of the parents of the recruits. They're making sure that, they're meeting all the people of the area and really getting Virginia Tech's name in the door. And I think, you know, the last staff, while they had a wider net to cast, um, you know, sometimes you just you have to build the program from the state that you're born in. And I think Virginia Tech has gone back to its roots. And I think you'll see in this class that Virginia is the priority. So. Um, they've done a lot better in, in regards to Virginia, but I do think it's going to take time. It's not going to be, you know, one cycle fix fixes all, but this is a critical cycle in terms of making sure that Virginia is a priority. And I think we'll all see that. Yeah. Speaking of that, that Virginia blitz that they did when they first got here, hitting 70 plus schools. <laughs> and obviously we saw the big name schools, right? You know, we saw the Phoebuses. We saw Highland Springs. We saw some of the big schools in Northern Virginia. But then we saw the smaller schools. They hit like an EC Glass in Lynchburg. They hit some of the, you know, smaller West End schools where I live, which, you know, produced about every 10 years one football player. How much did that help get on track, um, what you just mentioned? Yeah, I mean, 
a lot of it a lot of it that was that was the critical period of you know we just got to blacksburg what's our first plan of attack and they said we have to go throughout virginia i don't care if we have three hours of sleep every night we're going and we're shaking the hands of every single high school coach that we can that feasibly that we can within this state and you know these are some areas that the coaches have never been to besides for maybe a quick conversation they haven't you know had prolonged conversation but they went in there they showed them who they were what they're about and i think a lot of the high school coaches have respected that and you know that's opening the doors again like opening the doors is so huge because there are some guys that are sitting there with you know really notable talent and they're like, I'm a Virginia Tech fan, but a Virginia Tech coach has never shook my hand. Like, they don't know about us. They don't know about the prospects that we have. They haven't checked in once. And it's not just about going there, shaking the hand, establishing the connection, but, you know, since then, keeping the connections as well, checking in, making sure, uh, you know, the prospects, the coaches, the parents, all of them, you know, they're doing a very good job in upkeep. And I think, you know, it's a, it's a continuous cycle it's very arduous, but they're doing a great job of just making sure that Virginia Tech is always at the top of everyone's minds. It seemed like they did a good job kind of planting those seeds, but now they're we're seeing a little bit of the of the watering process, right? You see them following up. You see some of the visits that we have coming up, especially with this open practice coming up next weekend, uh, a few big names coming in for that. Um, <clears throat> let's pivot to this a little bit. Um, so we talked about how, how there was a gap. Did some of the continuity on the, the recruiting staff help with some of that with Lino and, um, Gouveia Winslow, and then also on the, on the coaching staff with, with Pearson and then with JC staying on, did that help with some of that transition, uh, for the 23 class? I know we, they weren't necessarily, you know, full bore in, in that, in that it was more of a, uh, kind of maintain the 22, but uh, did, did some of that, those relationships kind of carry over into this class as well? I think so. I, I definitely think the focus was on the 22 class and that's how most of it kept together. Uh, you look at Benji Gosnell from the 22 class and that was a big part of JC Price, just staying on him, staying, you know, relentless in his recruitment and helping bridge the gap. So a lot of those guys were crucial in terms of the 22 class, but for 23, you know, it's it's about, you know, showing some of the guys what you already know. And I think they've done a good job of that, kind of bridging the gaps, like I like I mentioned before. Um, but, yeah, those guys were crucial, and they are still crucial to the 23 class. All right. Well, speaking of the 23 class, let's talk about the current top 10 in Virginia because we've got – I'm, I'm counting. This is two, four, seven rankings. There are currently three, three players in the top ten of Virginia committed to Penn State, and there's a fourth, Tony Rojas. And I believe, I think Brian did Brian Dome give him the crystal ball to Penn State? Yes, I believe so. Brian Dome gave him the ball to uh, Penn State. So I've got to ask this. You know, are these potential flip opportunities with this new staff because of who Brent Pry is, Tyler Bowen? Um, are they pretty solid with Penn State at the moment? Yeah, I, I would say it's kind of tough. Obviously, Penn State uh, got in there early uh, with a lot of these guys. And, you know, I, I'm never going to say no. 
I'm never going to say there's not a potential flip opportunity here. Um, Barnwell is a guy that sticks out that I think, you know, later on in the cycle, we'll see what happens to him. He's a four-star guy. Um, you know, Joshua Miller's another one that I think could potentially we'll see, you know, right now they're saying all the right things for Penn state. They have a really good connection there. And, you know, there's a lot of allure for Penn state, but you know, it's not to say that Brent Pry won't be trying, uh, but at the present moment, I would say most of them are pretty locked in. Um, and I'll also say this, that you look at the Virginia top 10 right now on 24-7 sports, and you see a lot of guys for Penn State, but I promise you by the end of the cycle, it's going to be funny if you come back and watch this right now to, to see the names now versus what the names are going to be in the top 10 by the end of the cycle. You know, we're always constantly evaluating and I think there's going to be a lot of changes within that top 10. I wouldn't expect Penn State to lock up, you know, over half of the top 10. I think Virginia Tech is definitely going to get some guys in the top 10 when it's all said and done. And that's why you guys are the best site. You guys continuously monitor these kids at your camps. You're weighing them. You're, you're you know, seeing how they do in drills. You're seeing like their 40s plus continuously watching their high school tape. And, and, and I love that. That's why we always say when we, we're here, it's like, what's 247 say? He's a three-star per 247. He's a four-star per 247. You guys are the best on that. Appreciate that. Yeah, and you guys just had, what, a, a pretty uh, decent shuffle um, with the top ten not too long ago, if I'm not mistaken, in, for Virginia. Yeah. Uh, with, with some of the updated rankings. So um, there was a little bit of movement there, if I, if I recall correctly. So. Um, let's talk about this a little bit. I know you, you said that, you know, the, the top 10 is kind of fluid based on where, where the rankings are right now. Are there any guys in that Virginia top 10 that, that VT is sitting pretty good with at the moment? Yeah. I mean, um, I can just give me one second to pull it up. I'm not on the state rankings right now, but, um, yeah, just overall, I think that, um, Virginia Tech is doing a good job, maybe not inside the top 10 at the moment. Um, okay. I think, you know, there will be guys that eventually come up there. I think um, I'm not sure where he's situated right now, but a guy like Ike Daniels running back, yeah. um, you know, Virginia Tech's in his top four. I think that's going to be a tough one. Obviously, anytime you're battling for a four-star guy. Um, and although, you know, technically they landed, you know, Brody Meadows, Benji Gosnell, we haven't seen Brent Pry really yet in a heated battle with big schools trying to get the top guys. And I think Ike Daniels is a perfect example of someone that's definitely attainable for Virginia Tech. And, you know, I'm curious to see how that one shakes out. I think there's going to be other guys that, you know, eventually end up in the top 10. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. What about Antonio Cotman? He was a guy that has been visiting. Um, he's, you know, he's from here in the RVA down at Life Christian Academy. Um, what's he look like? Is he did looks like you guys did slide him down a little bit, um, but obviously, like you said, you guys are fluid. Where do they sit with him right now? Yeah, they're they're sitting very high with him. He obviously got a ton of interest. Um, started camping, had one bad camp, which kind of cooled off some programs. But overall, a, a guy that, again, 
really likes Virginia Tech. I think an, another guy that you kind of want to get into the program and show that Virginia is a priority. Um, I think Virginia Tech will stay till the end with him, and I think that will mean a lot, whereas you know some of the other big programs might go in and out if they have a choice. Um, so he's a guy that I think you know remaining consistent with will pay dividends down the line. Awesome. Now let's kind of flip to this, you know, Brent Pry, Tyler Bowen, um, Derek Jones, the cheetah, one of the best follows on Twitter right now for VT sports best. guys <laughs> deep into it. Um, Stu Holt from down in Carolina, Pearson, you know, growing up in South Carolina and Fontel mines. These guys are kind of that along with JC price, kind of that core group that's going to be running the big part of the footprint, Virginia, North Carolina, uh, the DMV in Maryland. Are you familiar with these guys' styles, um, how they build relationships? Just give us some insight on, you know, if you have something on all of them, great. If you have some on a couple. Yeah, I definitely have some some stuff on a couple. I'm, you know, personally still getting to know some of them. But, um, yeah, I would say that without a doubt, like, with this staff, I'll just speak generally here, but – you know, from what I know, this staff, just in terms of like being available and checking in with people, they're so almost relentless in that, that they're they're constantly able to ask how your day is and, you know, see how you are. Like relationships are key to them. And it's not always about football. It's not always about, you know, what are your grades? What, you know, who, who are you hearing from? Should I be scared that another school is coming into the mix? It's kind of like keeping it real with everyone because they know what they have to offer their experience. They trust that in the end, if they build that relationship, that that's going to be the reason that, you know, that recruit wants to come to Virginia Tech. And I think that's so critical that they're confident in who they are. They know who they are. They know the proven strategies. And um, they've been really they've been really good so far. So um, just in general, I think an, another thing, too, is just, you know, it's not taking guys and putting them in in too many new situations. It's kind of taking guys and doing things that they're familiar with in places that they're familiar with. So, um, you know, the recruiting landscape is not really that foreign to anyone. Um, and I think that's a that's a huge thing as well. Yeah, it looks like probably what Sean Quinn is probably the, the biggest yeah. one that's probably yeah. working outside of his normal uh, recruiting area with working up in Northern Virginia versus what, Tennessee and, and Georgia. 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 Yeah. Yeah, Rudolph, Rudolph as well. Rudolph, yeah, Rudolph but they're well. getting – I love the way, like, we hadn't touched Ohio in years in, what, like, about a month ago. Like, all these Ohio kids are tweeting, like, Joe Rudolph drove through West Virginia and is getting up into Ohio, and it's awesome. Yeah. To see yeah, I love it. And I think, you know, specifically with guys like Joe Rudolph, you you – like, I feel like there's – you have so many people – that are in Virginia and taking care of Virginia, taking care of North Carolina, uh, Pennsylvania, like Maryland, you have so many connections there. And I think sometimes what staffs try to do is they, they want to hit their regional footprint and they'll pull guys that aren't familiar with it and put them in areas where they know nothing. And I think in the case of Joe Rudolph, it's saying you're a proven guy. You know what you're doing. You've built these relationships. Instead of taking you out of Ohio, why not keep you there? It's tried. It's true. It's tested. 
Um, and I think, you know, he's a guy, Cheetah's another guy that I think, you know, over time, like for now, they're, they're trying to keep everyone in, in uh, these regional brackets. But I think over time, they'll kind of have, you know, free reign of where they want to go and who they want to recruit because, you know, they've done it for so long. They built so many relationships in so many places that it would be a shame not to use them. Yeah, speaking of those relationships, let's talk about another uh, hire that, um, you know, some people were a little like, oh, that was out of the blue. And that's uh, that's Fontel Mines. Um, kind of an interesting hire being a UVA alum and not having a ton of Power 5 experience. But um, what do you think that this hire um, and kind of what he brings to the recruiting front for the Hokies? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely was an interesting hire. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that um, – and I don't think I'm giving away too much in saying that there's a lot of candidates considered for the position. And I think there's a reason that, you know, it was the last hire, but, um, or I guess, I don't know if it was the last official hire, but um, at least unofficially, I guess. But in terms of, you know, his experience not being in the power five, um, I think what you have already on staff is so much proven power five experience that bringing in a guy to mold, have a guy, you know, that's so familiar with Virginia, just the entire landscape of Virginia, a guy that, you know, is electrifying in conversation, a guy that's going to be, again, relentless in building relationships. Like, that's what you want. And I think there's so many guys, especially on the offensive side, um, that are like proven offensive minds that they're going to make the product work no matter what. You want a guy that you know is going to, build those relationships within Virginia, which is such a priority for the program. And I think he'll do a good job. And I know it's weird getting a UVA alum. I know that's a weird thing. I know he's talked about it and, uh, you know, talking about already late November next year, how weird that's going to be. But um, I think he's a guy that's fully bought in, uh, has all the values they were looking for and kind of checked a lot of the boxes. And I think when you look at him, it, it's mostly going to be about recruiting with him. And I think he, he definitely checks all those boxes. I'm curious to see, you know, how are the wide receivers going to develop? Is that going to be a thing where multiple coaches are kind of pulling in information for not only recruiting, but development and who's going to be in. But um, in terms of recruiting, I have no doubts with him. So it sounds like you, have you had a chance to speak with Fontel? I haven't personally. I know, um, yeah, there's other guys on our on our team okay. with really good relationship with him, but yeah. um he yeah, he's absolutely great from everything yeah, that I've heard. It sounded like from your comments there that someone I was that's why I asked, did you speak with him or someone had told you like we spoke with him holy moly, he, he used the word electrified. <laughs> I'll, I'll just say that, yeah, I've I've yeah. I've heard really good things about him. So yeah. I'm excited to get the chance to, you know, shake his hand one day. One day awesome. soon, I should say. Probably very soon, knowing this coaching staff, um, and as much as they're opening it up again, we already talked about the open scrimmage. Um, we won't be there, unfortunately, or I won't be there. Brian, are you going to try? I to unfortunately can't make it because, as you see behind me, I'm in the oh. midst of packing up my oh, house yeah. to move. That's so, a week before moving for Brian, so he will. Oh, wow, be there. yeah, <laughs> fingers crossed, man. Fingers crossed. All right, let me ask this. Um, you know. We look at Brent Pry, we look at Tyler Bowen and a few other guys on this staff, and, you know, they have a real, real experience up in 
the DMV area. I mean, I'm sitting here looking. Brent Pry recruited guys, you know, like you know Curtis Jacobs, Devin Ford, um, and Tyler Bowen. You know, Landon Tingwall, Rasheed Walker. That's that area. How big a boost do you think the Hokies are going to see from the DMV? You know, somewhere that's been good to the Hokies. If if you're a, if you're a Hokie fan as old as we are, um. You know, it was a certain running backs coach back in the uh, 80s, 90s, and 2000 that basically made a pipeline from DeMatha to Blacksburg. Um, could we see that form again from that area with these guys? I think absolutely. I think when you look at and, – and it's it's funny too, when you look specifically at some of the, the Maryland powerhouses, like how many guys – will be rated four stars. How many guys have ended up going to Alabama, Michigan, Penn State? Um, even, you know, Maryland has gone a few and, you know, they've done a good job with those four stars. But yeah, I mean, especially Bowen, Pry, even JC, I mean, they have, they're really going to make that a, a destination for Virginia Tech. And I think it's crucial that it's them because so, so many, I feel, will go to Penn State and, and it's been tough to win any of those battles. It's almost like as soon as Penn State steps on campus, it's their battle to win. And Virginia Tech really never had a chance, at least, you know, under the last regime and a bit before. But um, now I feel like there's a fair chance. I feel like it's still going to be an uphill battle. But when you're looking at the top end talent year in and year out, I think a lot of them are going to come from that area. And I think it's crucial that you have guys that are so proven and have really, really great relationships with a lot of the coaches there, like really, really established relationships. I think it's going to go a long way. Um, and I think, yeah, just what I said, like the the star power of the classes will come from that area. So and, with those with those battles that we were looking at before with the, with the previous regime, was that something that kind of as soon as they entered the table that we backed off or was that more of a Penn State, but just between their program prestige and the staff that they had, the things that they were doing, if they were in the game and they had a committable offer on the table, it was kind of a done deal. It was kind of a done deal. And you got to think that these are these are places that are welcoming the top tier power five programs in at, you know, at least like once a week, it, it, it feels like. But, you know, I think Virginia Tech really never got a seat at the table. It never felt that way. I felt okay. like they were able to kind of get some of the guys that maybe fizzled out um, and, or that, you know, some of the top programs overlooked, but never really had a fair shot with some of the top guys. And I feel like the relationships, especially of Tyler Bowen, like there, there's going to be some dividends in the future. Um, I don't know specifically for the 23 class, but I know down the line there's there's going to be, you know, they're going to be in the conversation with a lot of these guys. Okay, that's good. So let's pivot a little bit. So we've talked about kind of the, the more immediate footprint. Let's talk about some of the larger f footprint guys and some of the, the coaches on staff that have some experience there, uh, like Cheetah, Holt, Glenn, Bowen. Rudolph and Quinn. I know you talked about Rudolph a little bit already with Ohio and, and some of the relationships he has there, but um, how can those kind of larger footprint um, guys, you know, be, be a benefit on the, on the uh, recruiting trail for us? 
Yeah, I think they'll be good. I think especially when you look at like a state like Georgia, I think there's a lot of ties there now. Um, you know, whole North Carolina, Cheetah also in North Carolina and a lot of Virginia as well. I think, um, you know, the six hour radius is, is a big thing for this class, getting guys that are close. And, you know, like I mentioned before, that a lot of these coaches have experience in the area, outside of the area, and kind of what has become the regional footprint for Virginia Tech. So I think a lot of these guys with their experience have, you know, will will fit in nicely and seamlessly uh, identifying the guys that they want to bring into the class. Let, let me ask this. When the initial press conference with Brent Pry and the big hammer home of, we're going to recruit Virginia. We all heard that. But when he said like that six hour radius and he really, you know, he like it was like an inflection point there. Like if you can drive to get here, we're coming after you. When you hear that and then kind of knowing the the previous regime and they did go out of some of our normal boundaries, what did that make you think? Do you think that coaches in that six hour radius who maybe had forgotten about Virginia tech. Did you think that made their ears perk a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that when you're, when your footprint is too wide, when you're casting your net too wide and, you know, there was never a consolidated effort. I felt like in the past six years where, you know, whether it was North Carolina to VT, Texas to VT, there was never like a concerted effort to make something permanent for Virginia tech. It was like, this class has good people from Texas. We know these people. We're going to try to get them. And then, you know, that ultimately didn't work out. Uh, you know, the one year with Trey Turner and Dax Hollyfield, like, that was great. But then, you know, dividends in future years didn't really come out of North Carolina. So I think it's important to not only state that Virginia is the priority and the six-hour radius, which is very real, by the way, but also to, to make it your mission, not only for this class, but for future classes as well. Like it, it's not just to build the pipeline for Virginia to get a couple guys to come in and sign for 23. You know, this is, this is about shoring up the program, not just for this recruiting cycle coming up, but that in, you know, five, six years, you're getting all the top guys from Virginia, that that's the first choice on the minds of these guys, not Florida State, not Penn State, not Michigan. Uh, they want it to be Virginia Tech. And I think they truly believe that and sharing that direction, you know, as far as I know, everything that they're doing right now is backing that up. So they really believe in that and they want that to be the mission. Yeah, it's like almost having a marketing strategy and, and occasionally just getting off kilter of who your best clients are. Like, oh, they're our best clients. We can just go to them whenever we need them and we'll get what we need. But we're going to try to go over here and over here and over here. And eventually people, you know, they remember. Like, you know, we had a couple kids that could have came to you guys that could have been contributors, but because they weren't the most known kids or had the best tape, you chose to try to chase other folks. So it's it's interesting to see that they, it seems Brent Pry and his staff have a true recruiting strategy and it's not just going to be off whim and you know what are you about to say brian i was gonna say it's just it doesn't seem it's scattershot um it seems like there there is a focus and there 
like here's our primary focus, here's our secondary focus, and they're building out from that. And and it, and it's shown how they you know blitz Virginia out the gate, and then they've kind of spread the net a little bit wider as things have opened up further into um, the recruiting cycle for twenty three, and. It, it didn't seem like that previously. It, it definitely seemed like it was kind of flavor of the month. Whatever whatever they thought might work this cycle was, was kind of the the plan instead of having a master plan that they can apply across multiple cycles that builds those relationships to kind of build that foundation for that long-term success on the recruiting trail. A hundred percent. And just to clarify one thing, like the six hour, the six hour radius is very real but like if someone comes at me in a few weeks and they say, oh, they just offered this guy. Like I know there's someone out of Alabama, TJ Metcalf, that's like six hours and 25 minutes that they offered. <laughs> but don't come at me for that. Like there's yeah. exceptions <laughs> to every rule, right? But like the primary We're still going to be in Jacksonville. We're still, <laughs> yeah. yeah there's, there's, We're still Florida. Yes. <laughs> you know, those things happen. And of course, if, you, if, if you're in the driver's seat for a guy in Florida that's you know, an unbelievable talent that fits exactly the criteria you're looking for, you bring them in. I think the difference is that's not your primary, you know, hashtag. That's not your primary focus. Um, Obviously, when they come up, when you leverage your relationships that you've established, those are the guys you're going to go after. And sometimes they're going to, you know, be a little further. But if they want to be a hokey, who's to say no? A a thousand percent. And it's kind of funny you talk about the Florida thing with like you had Devin Alves, you know, the late signing, no one like no one saw coming. And it was one of those. It was a relationship he had with, I believe, Stu Holt and, you know, down at Melbourne. And next thing you know, they've got a 6'2", 185-pound defensive back that, you know, like most people sit and think it's like, oh, he's from Florida and he's that size and his tape looks good. Okay, come on down. Um Speaking of Florida, let's turn to this just a little bit away from what we talked about the footprint. Let's talk about the defensive coordinator, Chris Marr. Um, obviously, star pupil of Brent Pry when uh, they were down, when Coach Pry was down at Vanderbilt. Um, you know, an all SEC guy. He has got his foot in the door coaching. He's starting to get accolades and, you know, starting to build the reputation as a great on field coach. Um, his recruiting record, you know, it does have some okay hits. You know, he got both Orgy kids out of Texas, um, you know, Alex Orgy's brothers to come to Vanderbilt, and a couple three stars at Mississippi State and Florida State, um, you know, which, you know, these guys are pretty new. They were class of 19, class of – or class of 20, class of 22. But how can he be an asset on the recruiting trail? Because he doesn't have that long running thing like a lot of these guys do. Yeah, and and you know, I upon his hire, I, I sought out a lot of advice information from some of the Florida State guys at twenty four seven, and I know there's a lot of stories out there about how he's a bad recruiter and you know couldn't build relationships, and I think a lot of that is overblown. It's not like this is a guy that won't talk to anyone that's too shy. Um, but I think in terms of going out and and seeking those relationships, uh, I think that's where he struggled at Florida State. And I think, you know, his role at Virginia Tech is a lot different. You know, he's he's going to be primarily focused on game planning and whatnot. But, you know, 
the way I would say it is this. You have a bunch of guys on staff that are good at creating relationships. It's their bread and butter. They can establish them. When you have an event at Virginia Tech where you're bringing guys in and you have a guy that's highly interested in Virginia Tech, wants to play on the defensive side, if you bring him into Marv's office and you're just talking about X's and O's, I mean, that's that's an area where he can excel. You know, he can break down the defense, tell them step by step, this is what it's going to look like in year one. This is what it's going to look like in year two. And not only that, but like he, you know, he once the relationship is established, he's going to be fine. You know, I, I, I think, again, like a lot of those stories were overblown. And I think he'll be fine on the recruiting trail. I wouldn't expect him to be, you know, an ace by any means. But in terms of getting guys in the boat, I think he'll be absolutely fine. And I think that, you know, his his main perk in in recruiting will be just kind of detailing the defenses, talking about, you know, his experience. And uh, especially as a young guy that's, you know, as a defensive coordinator, that's going to bring a lot of guys in, I think. Yeah, and I know you talk, talked about talking to a lot of guys with the, the his time at Florida State there. In, in when we talk about recruiting, most of the time he spent at Florida State were under the COVID uh, protocols, right? Yeah. So, did you think that had any impact on the way he was able to to develop those relationships during his time at Florida State, Definitely. where he couldn't couldn't necessarily. Uh, you know, be face to face or a lot of that one on one that you normally would get in a in a typical recruiting cycle. Yeah, I definitely think so. And I think, um, you know, even some of the some of the guys that have come in in the 22 class have said nothing but positive things about talking with him um, and, and his plan for the defense. And obviously a lot of that comes from Brent Pry. So, you know, it's it's not just about Marv. It's about Pry as well. And, yeah. you know, they have that vision in store, I think. COVID was definitely a big part of it. I mean, obviously, I I don't really have the room to talk too much about what happened at Florida State, but, uh, you know, I think he'll be absolutely fine. I think it's a little overblown. Uh, again, don't expect him to be like, you know, the ace recruiter, but I think he doesn't have to be with the staff, and yeah. I think that's fine. You know, you have to know your role and how you fit into the equation. So let's let's kind of pivot in a little bit um, to back to the twenty two class. Uh, were you impressed by the way that Pry and especially JC and uh, and Pearson that were you know working a lot more uh, on the road there, uh, how they were able to keep the kind of the, the twenty two class more or less intact as things closed out after the regime change? Yeah, it definitely was. I think you know when you look at Gunnar Givens, I think for such a long time, I mean it was obvious he wanted to go to Virginia Tech. And I think towards the end, there was a little bit of uncertainty. And I think, you know, schools like North Carolina really came into the mix, came after him hard. And, you know, look at North Carolina's track record in the last two years. They're pretty much getting whoever they want. Um, and, you know, Price was a big one there. Benji Gosnell was another one that I think they had to fight hard for. You know, getting guys like Brody Meadows, uh, Keyshawn Burgos, um, Xavier Chaplin was another one that I know he took yeah. a while, but yeah. that was a big one to to keep in the boat. Um, Daquan Wright was another one that took a bit of time, but eventually came to Virginia Tech because he believed in the staff. And then, you know, guys like Xavion Bradshaw, like that was such a huge one 
for the class. So not only did he keep the, the class intact, but I felt like he added substantial value to the class as well to really round it out and get them proven guys, uh, you know, that may have been overlooked or didn't fit the criteria of the old regime. He said, you know what? These are good players. We want them in the fold. We'll figure out a home for them. We'll make it work. Um, and to be able to do that with such little time is definitely impressive. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Xavier and Bradshaw because it was really, really storied of how what Louisville and Michigan were pushing hard till the end on him. Um, but you mentioned Daquan, right? Were there other schools trying to push Daquan? Um, yeah, yeah. So especially after he kind of rose up the rankings, you know, in the latter months. Yeah, so I, there is a point in time where I really thought that he was going to end up going to Georgia Tech. Um, oh. Yeah, and, you know, luckily for Virginia Tech, he stayed. I think he's going to be an exceptional ball player when it's all said and done. But, you know, there there was a time I think he was wavering a little bit. Um, there was a time where, you know, communication kind of shot down. And I think that's when we started to get a little worried. But then, you know, things evened out. And, uh, you know, obviously he ended up signing. So, yes, yeah, that, was, that, was a, that was a big one for us. We, we've been kind of talking about Daquan Wright uh, on this program for a while. Since, um, since the day he committed. Yeah. <laughs> he as soon as I saw his tape, I was like, oh. oh okay. And then I was like, when I watched it. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, um, let's ask this. And this is coming from both of us. We've mentioned already Daquan Wright. And we think Rashad Purnell is severely underrated. 247 has him right at a four-star. Right, He's at an 88. Uh, you know, I don't know what – maybe it was the – what is he going to be in college and he never tweener. got that four-star. He's the tweener. tweener. Yeah. But who else in this 2022 class is kind of flying a little bit under the radar, in your opinion? There's a couple. I would say definitely Xavier Bradshaw. I think he's going to be a stud. Um, you know, he obviously got that at the last minute, a late high ranking. I think he's an 86, if I'm not mistaken, unless they changed it and made him like an 87 or 88. But um, he's someone that I think can play early. Monsor Delane, he is like a prototypical Big Ten type of like hybrid safety almost. I think he could play corner or safety. He's a hard hitter. Um, you know, I... He was another one I thought that could have gone to Michigan State, uh, but ended up sticking out with Virginia Tech. Um, Bryce Duke, he's someone that put up video game numbers in high school, and yeah. you kind of wonder, okay, will this guy really translate to the college level? Like we haven't really seen it before, at least at Virginia Tech, with these guys that are you know scoring fifty touchdowns in a year. But he's someone that early on is really standing out. I think he could have a role really early on. And then Braylon Moore. Braylon Moore, I think, will be really good for Virginia Tech. Um, obviously, carrying on the legacy. I don't think he's going to stick at defensive line or wherever they're trying to play him. I think Joe Rudolph is going to make one quick phone call, get him on the offensive line. He's going to be a right or left guard, and he's, he's going to make a living there. So what you're saying is about a week from today, when they get into the room with spring practice, he's just going to walk to JC and be like, "This is <laughs> he's mine. He's coming over here with us." I mean, he's probably in the D line room right now just because of the 
the deficiency we have at the D tackle in terms of depth. Yeah. Um, by the way, you asked uh, Bradshaw eighty seven. Eighty seven. Yeah. Eighty seven. So, um, and and we we discussed just a few about a month ago after official signing day about Bryce Duke, and I think people are he is being overlooked in the video game numbers, and it's Northern Virginia. It's not down exactly. there in Richmond. Not in the seven five, but when you look at the division he played in, he played in four A. That's not lightweight division. Now that's not five or six here in in Virginia, but he was playing some solid teams, and um, you know, and you you kind of look he it looks like he's had some success in the Hunger Games, which has been some awesome footage to see, um, and obviously, essentially crowning guys every week for their performance, which is a great thing in my opinion, because I'm sure those guys get to walk around, um, you know, like peacocks in the new training center and new performance center when they win that. I don't know if they get anything special, but, um, you know, more on the lane. Was Michigan State making a push late yes. for him? Because he seemed – because he seemed pretty solid all the way through after he committed back in the summer. Yeah, I was talking to some guys at Michigan State, and I think, you know, at, at one point um, they thought that he was, you know, signed, sealed, delivered. So, you know, there's a lot of stories that, you know, some some recruits have where, you know, there's, there's turmoil in the program. They don't know what's going on. Uh, you start to doubt it and you know, other schools will seize the opportunity to use that. And, uh, you know, he saw things out. He didn't make any rash decisions. And, you know, he couldn't be happier to be a Hokie today. Um, but, yeah, he was definitely one that um, whether or not, like, you know, sometimes there's a recruit where the coach says, look, I know you don't want to go here. I know you're locked in. Just let's take this visit. Let's see what it's about. Maybe it's a good uh, option if things don't pan out at the school you're committed to and you know more times than not that'll lead to flips and you know he he was a case where he said okay I'll go uh, I'll check it out I'll listen to what they have to offer but in the end stayed true to his commitment and the better for us because I like like you said I looking at his tape he looks like he's somebody that could be a, a definite stud in the future but let's talk about what potentially could be um, happening, you know, in the in the twenty two uh, season for the Hokies. You know, we're one week away from the start of spring ball, um, and we had a big crop of early enrollees from the the class of twenty two. Are there any? Yeah, are there? Yeah, that that's 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 bananas. Um, but are there any of those early enrollees that have the potential to you know get in there for the two deep if they have a solid effort in the spring and then in fall camp? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to say without knowing the true vision of what Virginia Tech's going to look like, you know, both offensively and defensively right now. But, you know, like I mentioned, Braylon Moore is a guy that I'm really looking at. I think he could play early, and I know it's tough sometimes on the offensive line, but I think he's going to get in there, and depending on, you know, how solid he is, he could see time in the two deep. Uh, Benji Gosnell is another guy. I know he's coming off injury, but uh, you know, absolutely looks the part, plays the part. Um, I think he could really make an impact there, and I think he'd be a welcomed addition. And then uh, I guess the last name I'll give you is Bryce Duke. I think, you know, I, I, I understand, again, like 
the hesitation, like we've seen guys like Colton Beck before that everyone's like, oh, track speed, video game numbers in high school, you know, maybe he won't, like everyone wants to see him pan out right away and then all of a sudden he switches to track. I think Bryce Duke is a guy that could definitely see reps on kick returns specifically. Um, okay. So I'd be excited for him. I think, you know, and, and again, like running back is wide open. So you never know. And I, I think that's the one, one of the most natural positions in football where you either have it or you don't. And, you know, it's dependent on more than you. And he has the skill set. Um, so I'd be interested to see um, what ends up happening with Bryce Duke. If he stays at running back, if they put him, you know, as kind of a hybrid guy on the offense. But I definitely think he'll get a chance at the very least to be on kick return. If he wins that, I don't know, but he'll get a chance. Okay. Yeah, Brian, uh, three weeks ago, we we did some film breakdown. Um, and Brian hit the offense, and he said something that he noticed about Tyler Bowen's offense is there's a lot of carries to go around. And would you say, Brian, that it wouldn't shock you that if there were three guys getting 10, 12 a game? I, I think there's going to be a lot of games where there's going to be three guys getting about 10 carries or more. So just just based on what I've seen from the games that Bowen has called and um, kind of cross-referencing that with some of the the tape from games that Joe Moorhead has called and and trying to see if if that's going to be more or less what Tyler's going to do if there's going to be some some variations from that but if he holds true to what how he called games with Joe Moorhead then it's going to be a, a lot of carries for about two to three guys yeah a lot of opportunities spread out yeah so i don't think that bryce duke is out of the question and again i don't think braylon moore is out of the question because i think having guys like i think just having a new coaching staff you just feel like the slate's white clean right like you know there are no favorites and prize said that a few times about how we're creating a new depth chart it's what you do on that field in February and early March in these conditionings. And, and, and that's, to me, I, I guess it's refreshing, right? Because you feel like if anybody had been hiding back for whatever reason, it's not anymore. Go out there, bust your ass, and show the coaches what you can do. All right, so kind of last question before we uh, – jump off the recruiting stuff here, but, you know, let's take three years from now. We have you back on It's 2025. What's going to be your measuring stick for success in these initial classes, really 23 and 24 um, for coach Pry? you know, with these classic commits? Yeah. I think um, when you look at these first classes that are going to come in, I think what you want to see by that time is retention because we've seen so much turnover in previous classes but not just keeping the guys on campus and having them buried on the depth chart but guys that are going to develop and become players for virginia tech and as much as we talk about like this might you know the support staff budget went up you know exponentially and that's because you want to get guys with a ton of experience a ton of recruiters you want to change the image of the program but these are guys that their best traits as coaches are developing guys, getting guys to stay 
and and finding players in recruiting cycles that are going to not just make an impact for a year, but be starters for multiple years to to be the identity that these coaches want. So, you know, whether that's an offensive tackle that's, you know, a multi-year starter um, that's, you know, hit the weight room hard and, you know, now you're talking about a guy that's a potential all ACC guy, you know, that's, that's the vision for a lot of these guys. And, you know, most importantly, I think representing Virginia, I think that's going to be a big one that I think they're making calculated moves right now that, this class is about Virginia. They're going to want someone to shine and prove to the rest of the state that, hey, I came from Virginia. I'm playing at Virginia Tech. We're winning football games. This is the place to be. And I think you need to have all those things. Get guys from the state. Keep them happy at Virginia Tech. And not only that, but have success on the field. It's not just about getting there. It's about staying there and proving that you know, you're, you're one of the best in the conference. Yeah, I, lo- I love hearing that, and I think that's that's kind of what we were thinking as well in terms of success. Uh, the big thing that you said that really kind of stands out to me, and something I hadn't really necessarily considered, but as you said, having someone from the state that whether it's a, a top ten in the state or whether it's somebody that was even further further down that list uh, on the re- on the recruiting trail there that comes to Virginia Tech, multi year starter. Um, and and starts winning some big games on the field for us. I think that that would be, you know, something that we can point to and say, here's what you can be when you come to Virginia Tech. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, like winning is the barometer, right? Like you have to win games. Like there may not be a pride twenty five if if there's not a lot of wins on the board, but um, uh, it's going to start at in Virginia and it's going to stay in Virginia. And I think you know that has to be the focus. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you because I think if you start winning that state again, or your state again, it it it's sort of like it's the ripple effect, because if kids come from Virginia and they start having success, then it's the kids from Carolina that hear about it, and the kids from Maryland and Pennsylvania, and it goes outward, much as it did, you know, 25 years ago. You know, a lot of people will go back and look. That class in 95 that won all those games, you know, you start going through it. You did have a lot of Virginia guys, don't get me wrong, but you had, you know, George Del Rico and JC from Maryland. You had some Florida guys. You had Pearson from South Carolina. Um, you know, yeah, it it wasn't like everyone was from Virginia in 95. No. The things Brent Pryor is discussing is essentially what made this program what it was for close to 20 years. Focus on your state and then let the ripple happen. Because when the ripple happens, you're going to get that Pearson Prater. You're going to get that Tory and Gray. You're going to get, get that Cone. Kevin Jones after you're a national Kevin championship Jones. trip. <laughs> so I think what they have in place is unbelievable. I think, you know, the things that you're hearing, I, I also – Something else I love is hearing you talk about how you feel like you're getting more access. You're hearing more. And and I know this is your job, and but we know you're a fan too because you went to the school and you love the school and we're fans. This is what we want. We want to hear things about what's going on. You don't have to show us everything. You don't. But like what they're doing next weekend is unbelievable. 
100% First time agree. we had something like this in at least six years. I know. <laughs> I was going to say, even when we're talking about like the two deep, you know, when, when we would talk about, okay, what are we getting? How are we evaluating these new guys coming in? You would hear like Justin Fuente say, oh, this guy's doing well. And all of a sudden everyone's like, oh, is he going to start? Is, you know, is he, what's going yeah. on? And now it's like, like you, you feel like there's a bit more transparency in terms of, okay, these guys, these early enrollees are doing well and, you know, they have a real shot. And it's like you trust that word, you know? So um, I, I feel well, ba- like ba- – Based on Fuente, I, I thought that Jade Payute was going to be all ACC for the last yeah. two years. I think we all did. <laughs> and now we have that one 45-yard reception from the bowl game to look at all summer. So, Yeah. <laughs> Let's build on that. Let's get 145-yard reception per game. If he just does 145-yard reception per game next year, I think it'll open up the entire offense. <laughs> All right. Um, Matei's going to hang out with us, guys. We've got some more things we want to hit before we close up shop tonight. But before we get to those, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All right, got a few more topics we want to hit tonight and a few more things. But we're going to start with this. It's completely away from football field and onto the hoops court. Elizabeth Kitley wins ACC Player of the Year. Obviously, Virginia Tech women's hoop having one of their best seasons ever. And it was just really cool to see a Virginia Tech player win that Player of the Year, guys. Yeah, seeing that and seeing uh, what came out what earlier today, what second team All American for her. Oh wow! Um, yeah, yeah. So more accolades keep coming out. So uh, seeing that program kind of take the the, the steps towards um, building on something big, and they've got a really chance. Hopefully that um, you know they can stay healthy throughout the the NCAA tournament and maybe make a run here, um, but you know, gutted out that victory after uh, Kitley went down. That was, that was really big. And just, I, I think all around uh, nothing to say, but good things about the way this team has kind of fought and clawed through this year and, and really made, uh, made the uh, fans in the, in the school proud. Yeah. Especially how like engaged all the fans have been. Like, I feel like it's almost like, of renaissance in terms of the women's basketball program that you saw in the final home game, everyone come out, uh, you know, truly a sight to behold. And, you know, fans are coming out because of the success of the program. So like you said, only nothing but good things to say about that program. Yeah. And I tell you, um, I think the Hokies lucked up to that the women's tournament is essentially two weeks before the big tournament. With Kitley getting hurt, and uh, it doesn't. It can't, I remember the other girl, the other starter that got hurt, because now essentially what they've got right at what sixteen days to get healthy, actually more than sixteen days to get healthy, 
for the tournament run. We've already seen the team multiple times take NC State, one of the best teams in the country, to the limit um, and have some big wins this year. So, I mean, it can happen. But just seeing them have the success clearly helps. And like you said, seeing the support throughout the year for the program is awesome. All right, Brian, one of your favorite events of the year. <laughs> Brian loves the combine, man. You don't like guy will sit <laughs> will sit and eat his breakfast watching the combine. And this year, I mean, the Hokies even you know a six and six team sends six guys to the combine. You know, Lasita Smith, James Mitchell there, obviously for the interviews and to get weighed and measured. Trey Turner, Jermaine Waller, Luke Tenuta. But were either of you watching live when Amari Barno ran? I was. <laughs> I was eating breakfast. <laughs> I, I was watching live, and I, right out the gate, I think it was it was the first forty of, of of the defensive line group, if I recall correctly, and he just goes out there and busts it out. Four three seven was the unofficial. Four three six, the official. I think the best part about it is you go down the list of like, and by the way, there are some fast people at the combine this year. Like there, I've never seen as many sub four fours as this year, but when you look at the big list of everyone that ran and then you're looking and you're seeing running back wide receiver, wide receiver, and then all of a sudden, you know, safety defensive back. And then you see edge, you see a 250 (laughs) pound edge, Run a four three six. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, that's I, I know that you know it's just a four, you're running in underwear, whatever you want to say about it, but like, yeah, that has done nothing but skyrocket uh his stock ahead of the draft. So, well, yeah, we, in- we were we were talking um earlier, we were like, all right, well, you know, some some had mocked him kind of a late day two before the combine some had had him early day three i think he probably improved his stock by about a round and a half depending on wherever you had him mocked before 100 percent. so he might be you know mid second rounders probably the high end probably late fourth probably is the uh the back end of that yeah but the other piece too is now you know people are looking at the stats and saying well he didn't have any sacks after the unc game but there are some plays out there, you know, he, he does need refining on the edge. Now, also, I think this year, after what he had done the previous year, the eyes were on him. The, the yeah. defense shifted to his side. He got chipped. But they ran at him more. They did run at him more. But the one thing that his that, that's going to flash on tape after seeing that 40, his pursuit, his backside pursuits and downfield pursuits, I know it didn't take long after that four three six because I had a buddy. I was out, I think, getting our cul-de-sac. You know, everybody playing, having fun because it's a beautiful weekend here. And my guy texted me, and I'm like, "Yep, that, that's what he does." And he found a picture of that UNC game where he went from the 35 to the 40, and I mean, he's getting blocked. He gets off the block, takes off downfield, and makes the tackle. That's motor, that's effort, and that's unbelievable speed from a guy of that size that essentially defensive coordinators who are looking at and probably pushing their scouting department and their GMs to say, hey, listen, 
Yeah, we can work on his edge moves. That's what we're here for. That's what we do every day. We teach these guys. But that effort in getting from here to there to stop a potential touchdown, there's not many guys that can do that. And another thing he does well that doesn't get talked about is that he's a pretty sure tackler. So he may not he may not be the best at the point of contact if he's getting either double teamed or uh, having to having to shed or having to work a move that's not an edge rush. But when he gets his arms to you, he's going to get you down most times. And you couple that with his pursuit and just overall athleticism. If they can find a system that kind of either uses an outside backer in space a lot or to rush the passer um, or a, you know, three, four system that's going to use him as, as a, uh, as an outside linebacker, that's going to be a really good fit for him and, and should be able to, uh, take advantage of the the tools that he has, especially if he's able to put another, you know, five or 10 pounds of, of weight on his body. Yeah, that's what I was just about to say, that there's a lot of uh, three, four schemes out in the NFL, and I think he would fit seamlessly into that. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a Packers fan, admittedly. And, um, you know, I think I think there's there is, you know, I'm a big Preston Smith fan, and I could see similarities between the two. I think obviously – Barno's a lot more athletic, but I think, you know, if you get him in the right system and, you know, he bulks up a bit, you know, his, his mind matches his moves. Uh, I mean, the sky's the limit for him. I mean, he's one of the most athletic guys that, you know, and, and he's really NFL, any NFL GM's dream really to have, if you can mold him into something. If you've got a year where you can just use him sparingly or, try to hide him as much as you can to where he can kind of come along um, with that NFL coaching and with that, you know, fully immersed pro experience. I think that that's going to be good for him um, because yeah, he really has all the tools and traits that can really make a really good NFL player, especially like, like we said in, in, in those systems that take advantage of those longer athletic guys, either on the outside linebacker uh, in a three, four, or that kind of, uh, four three system where they use that that backer as a as a kind of an over rusher a lot yeah well we were talking earlier you talk about the Packers system um I'm a Niners fan he's a Colts fan essentially we're running a cover three with wide nines and a guy like him is like it's like get him out on the nine aim at the quarterback and just run as fast as you can so he fits a few places one other guy I think Lasita Smith solid combine outing um he ranked top 10 in a few things I think he's probably I, I think Lasitas is going to go in the first, in the second day. I think the, he definitely he, improved his stock from where he was. Um it wasn't the big jump that we saw uh from Barno just being able no. to put that that type of physical specimen out there in a scenario where being a physical specimen really uh, you know er, earns you the uh, the kudos there but uh, I think he solidified everything that was being talked about him ahead of the combine and sometimes showing up and, and not, uh, not hurting your case can help your case. And I hope for all the other guys too, that, you know, left early, I, I, I wish them nothing but the best. I hope they get drafted lands on teams and um, continue to do great thing elsewhere. All right. Yeah, we've seen Trey, uh, what mocked, where did you say you saw him? What fourth or fifth? Like fourth and fifth, some at six, you know, I think what's going to help Trey is 
believe it or not, this is my opinion. And, and you, y'all can say if I'm right or wrong. I think some of the stuff they did with Trey on the jet sweep is going to help his stop. The NFL is getting a lot more line of scrimmage type passes. They're looking for guys to get the ball in their hands to make moves like that. And yeah. that's something he definitely can do. Um, but, you know, it's so weird. We see it every year. You see, like, guys you expect to get drafted in the first three rounds. The next thing you know, your team in the sixth round is drafting him, and you're like, we just stole a guy. And you're, like, super jacked for it. All right. I want to go to this next because this is something we want to bring you in on really deep because I think it – I think this is going to affect the recruiting game when it happens. So, you know, it's been a little over a month now, but college football playoff basically says they're staying at four until 2025. And we're in the mindset it needs to get bigger. We want to go to 12. This is my question for you, okay? How much of an impact do you think when it goes to 12 will it have on recruiting? And when I say that, right now we feel like the biggest recruiting, it's Georgia, it's Clemson, it's Alabama, it's Ohio State, it's Oklahoma, and it's like LSU. Essentially eight teams, six, in a, in a, in a, six to eight teams in a given year have a chance of making the, the, the playoff. Is that by default helping them on the recruiting trail? And by extension, if you add more players, uh, more teams to the playoff, will that have a trickle-down effect on the recruiting front? We're now you've got 18 to 20 teams competing for 12 spots instead of six to eight competing for four. You know, I would definitely hope so. And I think when you look at, you know, some of the top programs that at least in the college football playoff era, it's almost like an arms race that not only are you making so much money because you're in those big games, but you're getting more of your fans engaged. I mean, there are recruits out there that only want to play for teams that are contending for the national championship. So if you're expanding that field, all of a sudden you're pulling in new guys. And I think it's definitely beneficial. I think for any fan that's kind of getting tired of you know, this monotonous four-team playoff that's always seems to be Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, and, you know, insert a fourth team that doesn't have a chance. But, um, yeah, I think it'll definitely be beneficial. And specifically when you expand it and you're looking at some of the teams that have a realistic shot to make it, I mean, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, Miami are screaming at you. I mean, you're in one of, you know – one of the most unstable divisions within the power five with the ability to make an ACC championship game. And, you know, if you're up to 12 teams, who's to say that the loser of the ACC championship game doesn't make it, you know, uh, depending on what your record is and everything that comes with that, you know, you're one of the most of, of, you know, all the five games, the power five games, you're one of the most competitive teams. So it, it would definitely improve teams like that. Um, and not only that, but it would bring more fans into it. You're not just tuning out once your team loses two games, you know, there's a realistic chance. And I think, you know, that would kind of spread the wealth a little bit. I still think, you know, some of the top teams, I think A&M's another sleeper that just a giant Texas as well, but you know, the, the, the blue bloods, the rich schools, they're going to stay rich, but 
there will be some some wealth spreading going on if if they expand the playoffs and i think that's what everyone wants even even if you're the 12th team and you know there's no shot at winning the whole thing but you just made it i mean that's already going to improve your stock tremendously yeah so you know i'm i'm very much in favor for that i don't know what that looks like yeah. in, in terms of the bracket and everything and the buys and whatnot but i think that would make that would that would just be so much fun for college football yeah, and we've we've talked about it. We've said, you know, if you're a 12 seed in a in a 12 team playoff, you know, whatever game you play, your first game is going to be a higher profile game than whatever non playoff New Year's Six bowl you could be going to right now in the current format. Yep. So it, it's only going to benefit those those type of teams that are just outside of that that current format, um, and how that exposure looks and how that you know, ultimately impacts on the recruiting trail, I think can be speculated, but I think there will be some impact. How much of an impact is probably where, where we kind of have to wait and see. And I mean, obviously this is a a, a nice money grab for all the other people that are counting coins um, in in this whole thing, because the more games you play, the more money you're going to make, especially when those games matter more um, towards the end of the year. Whereas right now you've only got the, the the three big ones, and you know that's kind of devalued in a lot of ways. Some of those other New Year's Six uh, bowls that um, you know before were, were had a little bit more prestige to them. Yep, but something you mentioned, Brian, you mentioned like the twelve seed getting in. If you're a twelve seed and you get in, and to Matei's point, Virginia Tech goes eleven and one, goes to the ACC title game, loses to Clemson in a thriller circa 2016 they get the 12 seed and they play a you know number five lsu they lose you know 35 27 whatever the extra money from the that game in general because you know there's money coming down but then to be able to get on the trail and go to some four or five star kid and say we're getting there we need you we get more players like you. We're not going to be 12 seeds anymore. We're going to be in the top four. We're going to win a national title. And the thing is right now, because Brian, like he said, there's four to eight schools that can say that every year. Unfortunately, Virginia Tech can't say that, as most 120 schools can. But if you open up that gate and you get to 12, and then the next year you win the ACC and you're at six, and then the next year you go, the next thing you know you can probably, you know, say this just from your job watching these boards. A lot easier to sell a program that's winning and getting to the chance, right? 100%. I think just the chance is so huge, right? That changes everything. And I think, you know, a lot of the recruiting pitches have been, okay, we're going to win championships. Well, what championships? (laughs) You know, the ACC championship, the Coastal championship, uh, the Commonwealth Cup. Like, what is the championship? that this program is striving for. And I think, you know, it's a bit lazy to say, okay, just expand it so that everyone comes in, but it's, it's 12 premier teams. You know what I mean? So 10%. It's the top 10%. Exactly. So I think it does nothing but help. I think there still is going to be a little bit of disparity. That's going to take, you know, at least a decade or maybe even more to kind of bridge that gap. But, but, you know, you have to start somewhere because the way things are going, you know, the rich get richer and everyone else is just trying to keep up. 
So, uh, you know, there has to be a method to, to kind of evening the playing field or just giving a school a chance, you know, whether it's one in every four years that they make it in or once in a blue moon, you know, it, it's going to totally reinvigorate college football, which I think is getting a little stale. Yeah, especially the the, the postseason uh, in particular. Um, yeah, you know, I think the regular season is is good, but I don't think a twelve team playoff devalues the regular season at all. Oh, of course, no, uh, because so, of what McKay said. You, if you lose two games now, if you're two and two after September, well, national championship gone. We're depending on the two games you lose. A lot of times it's well, shit, now, the, now a chance to go to a New Year's Six Bowl is gone after two losses. And that's what makes the regular season so much fun is seeing the teams fall. But if you're saying, if you're saying like, we're going to get to November and when they do that CFP ranking, which I think they still will have, if you're sitting at like 20, you're sitting like, we can do this. If we can win out, beat our rival, get into a con- – we can get in. And that's what you want, hope. Hope. Yeah. If you have hope – if you have 20 teams having hope in November, money for everybody. And also having these auto bids. I mean, you, you occasionally have those upsets in those conference championships. Those yeah. upsets now matter. Yes, they do. Like before, it didn't matter. You you know if if you had lost three games and then you like Georgia a few years back, you know they had like two or three losses and you know might, might go and, and beat a Bama or beat a Auburn in the SEC championship game. You know all of a sudden that matters now. Now we lost him again. And he's back home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So a game like that now matters because if they win that conference championship game, they're getting an automatic bid into the playoff. Now that team that was either undefeated or one loss. They're still getting that at large bid, and then we can debate how we want to, oh, you know, rack rack the, uh, the rank the teams in the playoff later. That's something that is probably a discussion that you know other people are having right now in terms of whether you know your conference winners get the the higher seeds or whether it's based on um, you know some sort of you know ranking from a uh, committee or whatever. But um, you know, you're going to automatically get in if you win that Power Five conference, and that's a big thing. And then most of the models that we're seeing, you know, one of those high-ranked G5 programs is getting in as well. So that can shake things up a little bit and at least bring um, probably a, a degree of new blood in every year and keep some of those those G5 conferences, you know, in the discussion. Um, you know, Cincinnati's really – you know, made some noise of late. We had UCF a, a few years back that had, had a good squad that, you know, didn't quite get it done at the end there. But, um, yeah, I think that's only going to help them as well because they now get a seat at the at the big table, not just at the, okay, well, you get to play at a pretty good bowl table. Right. I think if you can keep the regular season the way it is, and I just hope that if you're if you're kind of diluting the playoff process that it wouldn't take too much away. And I know, like, I agree with Curtis, like giving hope is so important to every fan base. Like, I hope like there's something so special about knowing that it's like, like every weekend matters in college football, every single weekend matters. And I hope that isn't lost. If you're like 
oh, we're 0 and 2, like we still have a chance, you know, like you should be panicking. But if you can keep you the regular be. season how it is now, stakes are still high as ever. You know, it's only 12 teams, 10%. I, I just, I agree with, with the both of you that it's like the postseason is getting stale. You need to spice it up somehow. If you can put more stakes in there, see some upsets, you know, something new. I think it only improves the product of college football. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, you're still you're still playing for your conference uh, championship game every year. Uh, so, I, like I said, I don't think the regular season game is is going to no. really get impacted because more than likely, if you're a Power Five team, you want one of those at larges or the automatic qualifier. You're going to need to be playing in your conference championship game, and you're going to be to be. And again, that matters more now because the winner of that gets that automatic bid. Right. By the so, way. You talk about the 0-2 team. That would be the best fan base to watch. They start 0-2 like, we still got it. We can do it. We got to win 11 in a row. We're not out of it. (laughs) Um, Speaking of fire, um, I tell you, you mentioned it earlier, the money they've drained into the support staff. I mean, we've had, you know, a couple higher since we last talked, Brian. The the ops staff has gotten bigger. Travis Taylor taking over director. Kyle Jasinski assistant and Jake Shell ops and analytics, along with hiring more analysts, Jeff Carpenter and Carrie Webb. Brian, just say it. You say it all the time. We have went from mom and we pop. We're no longer a mom and pop operation. <laughs> we're, we're running things like we've got a, got a business plan and a hierarchy and we know who reports to who and who's doing what. And we don't have, one or two guys in the recruiting department and operations department that are wearing like four or five different hats anymore. People have jobs and and they, they take care of the business now. And it seems like that that's what we've been missing in the off the field department. So I'm, I'm, it's nice to see them put the money into it. Number one, to get it done, but also to get these hires in there and have a organizational structure that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I remember You know, back when I was on campus and going to the press conferences, I would stop by the recruiting department and I would see four guys sitting in chairs in this massive room, just doing all the work for the class. And I'm sitting there like, have you guys slept? Like, I see like four cups of coffee on everyone's desk and you're wondering how things are getting done. And you not only have that within recruiting, but just ops in general, guys to bounce ideas off of. You now have analytics guys that can tell you whether to go for it on fourth down or not, you know, down to like the very specific minutia of everything. So it does nothing but help. And, you know, this is this is long awaited and I'm so excited for for everyone. It just makes everyone's life easier. And ultimately, that's what you need. If you want to be a program of a very high stature, you need to have like all everything accounted for. And it seems like they have that right now. Uh, do, do these analytics help with uh, whether or not to call timeouts for 54-yard field goals against an <laughs> uh, in, in-state opponent? <laughs> Let's hope that doesn't happen again. <laughs> Never, ever. <laughs> well, you know something else cool, though? Um, and, and think about, like, this is already happening, and to me it's telling you that Brent Price hiring and keeping quality guys. You know, Keyshawn Jarrett was going to go to a GA position, essentially wanted to coach. He stayed there all of two weeks, and he got hired by Howard, you know, an FCS school, which is awesome for him. And then the same with Darrell Roberts. Darrell Roberts at an FCS school comes to an analyst job, and within, what, 20 days, 
He's at a G5 job up at Eastern Michigan. That tells you a lot about two about what the staff is looking like. That it didn't take long for these two guys to already be moving on, which is great. Yeah. And I think uh, you know, with this prize staff, I think he has a lot of connections and because he's bringing in so many people and I know a lot of people have Penn State backgrounds, but you know, everyone talks, everyone knows each other and that's kind of the culture at Penn State that you build up this large staff and like Penn State, there's going to be people that move on. There's going to be people that turn over, but they're always looking for quality to replace them. And I think that's kind of going to be a, a constant, at least with the support staff. Um, you know, I know a lot of guys are under contract for multiple years and will stay a long time. But, you know, they're always going to find people to to fill the holes. And uh, I think they have a really good network in terms of what they're looking for. And it's no surprise the people they're getting are wanted by other people. And that's the telling sign that you're hiring the right person if a lot of people want them. It's it's the truth. I mean, there's no more to say that. It's the truth that people want people on your staff. It's the best thing. Again, I'm going to go to the NFL. The Niners are losing everybody. I love it because it tells you that they're wanted and it tells you that they know how to interview. It tells you to know what they're doing. And usually when you have, in these cases, you're going to have guys go, you're probably going to have some good replacements come too. It's like, you know, this guy went from here to there. I want to do that. I'm going there because I know he's going to prep me for it. Absolutely. When when you present that you create opportunities for other people, that's going to be attractive to other hires that are looking to do that same thing. Thousand percent. All right. Matei, again, we really appreciate you joining us tonight. We're going 90 minutes now. It has been awesome. Just We just feel like we're just talking to a fellow Hokie, you know, which you are, and a friend. Um, don't forget, guys, check him out, VT Scoop for 247.com, um, his articles, you know, anything dropping soon? I, we should have – a, a Blacksburg big board coming out soon, which kind of detailed it's for our VIP subscribers, I should mention, but okay. it'll detail exactly what the staff is looking for within this recruiting class. Um, I would just say stay posted to VT scoop because we should have some good news in the next 10 days. Um, so yeah, keep an eye out on that. Ooh, Ooh he teased it. We'll he teaser. teased it. We'll teaser. We'll teaser. All right. Next 10 days, we're going to all mark our calendars for that. And, uh, again, Matei, we really appreciate you uh, joining us here on the Boundary Corner Podcast, and that's going to wrap it up. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website, boundarycornerbt.com, to listen to all of our episodes. While you're there, don't forget to follow us on twice, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Subscribe to our YouTube account. Um, Thank you, listeners. Our YouTube with our coach, Robbie Compton, where we had some tape. Over 100 views, our biggest YouTube ever. We got jacked about that. So go check it out if you haven't. Brian and Robbie breaking down tape. Um, and your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, Apple Podcast. We always let our buddy Jason Long. He plays us in. He plays us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music and his YouTube cover channel. Um, I, I'm trying to think he got a new telecaster and he's really excited about it. So go give him some views. <laughs> so maybe he can pay for it and his wife won't kill him. Cause 
I think he had a teller the total the other day. Oh man, he had to finally come clean. I think he did. Show, uh, show her know. the credit card receipt. <laughs> well, I'm sure she probably saw that. Um, at least he didn't buy the other one he showed us because he he had one that was like almost two thousand, and he really was almost going to buy that, but. He's a married man. He got smarter. So, you know, but we thank you all for listening. And as always, let's go Hokies.